My name's Keith Gillespie, and you're listening to Searching for Shinies. Keep it shiny. Welcome to Searching for Shinies, the football sticker book podcast with me, Ketch, and him, Richie Wyatt. We've got 45 more minutes with Keith Gillespie coming up, plus added time. But before we get into that, Richie, you are back in the land of deep fried chicken and cheese, aren't you? <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, that's a nice intro. Um, yes, I'm back in Teesside, thank you. Obviously, the uh, restrictions have loosened somewhat, and I've been able to come and visit my parents in Teesside for the first time in 10 months, which is an absolute treat. Part of the deal was that I'd come and sort out one or two of my cupboards with old stuff, and um, I'm delighted to say there are one or two unbelievable finds oh, from yes. the 90s. Just <laughs> stuff that I've kept. Um, inexplicably, I've kept it. I mean, I'm talking like paper, newspaper pullouts, one of which I'm going to refer to today. So I'm going to, I've got some stuff to read out to you, Ketch, which I want you to get your reaction on. Prior to that, can you update us on, on uh, where we are with the search? Yes, so we've had a good lead um, very good lead in so much as we've actually done the interview <laughs> with the next player. We're going to have Terry Phelan on the show and we have a listener, Dan Sheridan, to thank again for this. Dan, you will remember, is the Dubai-based fireman. He of Alan Nielsen's trainer fame. He, if you listened in the last episode, found a pair of Alan Nielsen's trainers in a skip and wore them and then bumped into Alan in Dubai years later and told him this happened. <laughs> He's been doing wonders for us. He got in touch with us on Facebook again and said, Hi, Ketch. Not sure if this would be of help, but on a Facebook page, Terry Phelan says he would be interested in chatting on a podcast. Low-hanging fruit. He got Terry Phelan's email address for us. I emailed him. I'm not going to say any more because the response was interesting, and I'll (laughs) reveal it on the next episode when we interview Phelan. But it's very interesting how how this came about. There's a funny story about it, but that's for the next episode. I'm keen to hear what you've got for us in terms of this yep. 1990s content salvaged from okay. a loft in Teesside. I've opened up this cupboard. Within it, there is a folder. In the folder, there is a mixture of things, including a 25-metre swimming certificate from 2019. <laughs> uh, from six um, A couple of like relay running badges and stuff like that. An old, um, a 2003 <laughs> football sticker book, which my wife said to me, as if you're doing football stickers before you go to... Uni, I was like, yes. It, <laughs> it wasn't me. Um, um, but also a, a couple of 90s documents, including a pullout from The Sun. It's called Football Football. On the front of it, I'm holding it in my hand right now, we've got Eric Cantona. <laughs> and this is from after Euro 96. I've got an article here. It's from after Euro 96, before the start of the season. So it's right in the sweet spot. Now, what I haven't mentioned as yet is, in this little booklet, there is an article by Jimmy Greaves called It's a Money Old Game which listeners will remember him again was in the Premier League <laughs> annual from a few episodes ago it turns out he's syndicated I think the Premier League have pinched the doc, the article from this book <laughs> so you, you described it as a spicy opinion piece more suited to being in the sun or something along those lines well that's exactly what it is and the Premier League have just pinched it so it's word for word he same could, images it's exactly the same so <laughs> I think we've got to take it easy on Jimmy. I was a bit harsh on him last time round, but actually, I think it's, you know, if it's in the sun, it's fair enough. Fair play. So, anyway, the article I want to refer to today is called Kickstart by Kevin Keegan. Okay. And he's talking to Martin Samuel, but it's basically just like Keegan talking. So, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read out two or three paragraphs, take a little break, get your feedback, and then finish off with something else. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I'm excited. Cool. Here we go. <clears throat> so, 
It's been a long wait, but on Sunday, we get the chance to settle a few scores. Not physically, not brutally, not by kicking lumps out of people, but if we can beat Man United in the Charity Shield at Wembley, it will be a massive kickstart to our new season. Maybe it was true a few years ago that the Charity Shield was merely a friendly exercise, but I don't think that is the case any longer. Of course, the league is the thing, and there is no punishment for, lo for losing on Sunday, but that does not diminish the importance, in my mind, or in Alex Ferguson's, I'm sure. Oh, dear. Mm, well. I know where this is going. <clears throat> well, I, I have a feeling he may have described it as a friendly after the game had finished. Anyway, um, we move on. If we can get one over on Man United, it could be the start of something very big. At, at the least, we would go into our match against Everton, drawing on that high. That's two losses we've notched up already. Um, what I want to do most of all is to give everyone at Wembley a match they will remember after the disappointing damp squib of the FA Cup final between Man United and Liverpool. What a letdown. That was a match that promised so much but failed to deliver, and I don't want this game to go the same way. And it didn't, yeah. did it, Ketch? It didn't. Lovely bit of sun language there, damp squib. <laughs> As if Keegan's come out with that. Hmm. I really hope United play their new foreign wingers, Karl Poborski and Jordi Cruyff. I've often been asked why I did not rush into the transfer market immediately after U96, as many did. The answer is, is I not see anything during the tournament that was better than I already had in my side. No one jumped out and made me desperate to buy. I would see a player and ask myself if he was as good as Tino, Les, David, Keith Gillespie or Peter Beardsley. The answer was always no. In the case of Poborski and Jordi, I saw them both, but in my book they were not up there with Ginola and Gillespie, so if all four play on Sunday, we shall see. It is just one of the battles that makes the match so interesting. He's right about that. Not better than Gillespie and Ginola. No, I would agree. We're still moving forward, even if new names are not coming in daily, as they are elsewhere. If Alan Shearer becomes available, that is different. There is money there if I want to spend it, and a chance like that would always have to be considered. That's quite, nice. He's That's quite talking... nice. It's nice, isn't it? As if he's talking so openly about a transfer target like that, a major transfer target. That's like Pep Guardiola going, yeah, I'll have Kane if he becomes available. Yeah, and he did. Love it. Phenomenal Love bit it, of work Kev. from Keegan. He's tried his mind games, and this one obviously has worked. This little, little It's not even subtle, he's just put it out there. Um, I'll just finish this bit off. It says, but we are beyond buying players just because Millersborough are doing it down the road. Good luck to them. But we went into the transfer market in a big way 12 months before this, and I am more than happy with my squad. Little dig at Borough there for not sort of helping him out at the end of last season. Yeah, brilliant. Um, nice, like it. So, thoughts so far on that? How are you feeling about Keegan? Brilliant. When did this come out then? This must have been This is August. July. It's August the 5th, 1996. Really? Well, honestly, about, I'm not, I'm about 10 days later, I think we had Shearer. Well, I wonder if he knew something. The interview probably might have happened <clears throat> immediately after Euro 96. Mm. But it's great just to be speaking so openly in the press about who he wants and who he doesn't like and who he thinks is better than another player. He does. And obviously he's saying that he doesn't fancy Poborski or Jordi Cruyff either, which is quite funny. Another yeah. little little pop. I, just... both, I think both both are average compared to Ginola and Gillespie. No, I don't deny that. I'm going to move on. There's a bit more about sort of young players training well, Steve Howey returning from United 6, blah, blah, blah. There's quite a big chunk about people blaming Tino Espria for the sort of drop-in form at the, in the last season. But... I'm going to skip past all of that and move on to a section called Talent. And he's talking about David Ginola here, or David Ginola. I watched France closely throughout Euro 96, and I remain mystified that they can continue to do without a player of his talent. 
They looked far from the finished article to me, certainly in attack, and now Aimé Jacquet has two years of friendlies to experiment again before his country hosts the 1998 World Cup. I'm sure David will get a second chance. I don't know if he did get a second mm-hmm. chance, did he? He never did. He never played again. They had Guivarch up top and Diomed on the wing, so you know what chance did he have? But, like Batty, it all depends on his consistency for us, and that is why this season is such a vital one. We knew of Barcelona's interest in David, but I maintain there is no way they are bigger than us. Yes, Kevin, come on! Okay, just that go. is the ambition we need. <laughs> I'm just going to say that again. There is no way Barcelona are bigger than us. We'll play yes. them in the same European Cup competition this season, and we have the same spending power. Yeah, too right. They wanted David when we bought him. We beat them then, and we will do so again. There was a time when that would not have happened to a Newcastle player, a time when clubs like Barcelona could dictate to us, but we are no longer a selling club. Now, I recall a few players leaving at the end of the season, a la Ferdinand, etc. But they were all Daglish's choices. Daglish sanctioned all of those sales. Mm-hmm. Okay. Unwisely. Yes. There is more chance of us taking one of Barcelona's players than them getting one of ours. The league is what matters now, so he's already glossing over the charity shield. The suggestion that only second-rate foreign players come here is laughable. Now, this bit tickled me. Are you serious? Ginola, Espria, Albert, Dennis Bergkamp. Now, does he think Bergkamp plays for Newcastle? That's... No, he's talking about the influx of foreign players. <laughs> you buffoon. And then Dennis talks to Jordi Cruyff during the year 96, and the next thing you know, Jordi is arriving at Old Trafford. I would say this is the boom time for the English game and that Newcastle have the chance to lead it. I believe we can do it. And I believe we can start on Sunday. Yes! Come on! Wow, fever pitch. United! (laughs) (laughs) It's brilliant. And he's got a point. I I do think we beat Barcelona a year later in the Champions League 3-2. And Newcastle were probably, it was probably the place to be. Mm. Mm -hmm. And Shiro was the best player in the world, I would say, at that point. And he came for a world record fee. So I, I love everything he said there, and I agree with it all. Very Kevin Keegan, Keegan I'm sure you'll agree. Oh, it's so brilliant, man. Statements. Imagine having a man. And, and, and uh, we've got Steve Bruce in charge now. It's <laughs> a complete polar opposite. Can you believe where we've come? Well, funnily enough, the article ah. before that one is... Um, there's a big chunk about saying, how are Man United going to replace Bruce? Because I think he might have just signed for Birmingham. Well, I think, yeah. I think they did okay after he left. But um, yeah. anyway, yes, yeah, so I thought, thought you'd enjoy that. that. Now, we've, now, now we've got Steve Bruce saying, maybe we can break into the top 10. <laughs> Keegan saying, we are the biggest club in the world. That is, <laughs> Newcastle fans get a bad rep. Oh, too ambitious. We're ambitious because we proved we could do it. And now look how far we've fallen. But anyway, love the 90s. Yeah. Miss Keegan. Just, I don't know if you proved you could do it. I mean, trophyless, but, but anyway. Kiss the sky, mate. We kiss the sky. Yeah, okay. Okay, anyway, what have we got coming up in the show then? Yeah, speaking of kissing the sky, we got Gillespie part two. He talked about the Keegan exit, how he found out. I grill him or go into detail about the Barcelona game where we beat them 3-2. Then he speaks of his narrow escape. He nearly signed for Middlesbrough. Unbelievable. <laughs> Went to Blackburn, got relegated. And then, you know, into Sheffield United, played under Warnock. Broke a very impressive record, which we speak about. Mm. Went on trial at Ferran Travaros. And, you know, we had it, got a bit deep at the end. Spoke about his gambling, which he is being open about and speaks about in detail in his book, which I'd recommend everyone has a listen to. But it was an unbelievable 45. I think I prefer part two to part one. Mm. And here it comes, listener. Enjoy it. Keith Gillespie, part two. 
this is obviously the 1997 sticker book that we're working our way through. And we haven't even spoke about 96, 97. So I want to I want to move it on to that summer. Um, the big thing was Newcastle breaking the world record transfer fee and signing Alan Shearer. Did you watch Euro 96 and, and where were you when you heard the news he was coming to join? Oh, yeah. You know, I've seen him in... In the Euros, he was he was outstanding, you know. But there was there was obviously talk about it for for a long time that, that you know that we were after him, and we were actually in the Far East on pre season tour when he actually signed, and uh, you know the squad were out there, and and then he flew out to, to Singapore to join us. But no, it was another it was setting down another marker in terms of we came so close to winning the league. Now we brought Alan Shearer, and you're thinking Shearer and Ferdinand, wow, mm. what a partnership that is, and. You know, obviously with myself and, and, and Janola, now we've got another guy to put the balls into, you know. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was fantastic in terms of the place just went mental. You know, I think everybody knows the pictures in terms of Alan signing and the, the amount of people that turned up the day that he signed it at St. James's. Uh, but, you know, what a, what a player for Newcastle. Absolutely incredible. The goals that he scored uh, and always wanted that, to wear that number nine shirt and, and you know, he he wore it as as good as anyone in terms of, you know, you look at the goals that he scored for the club. Mm. Ketch, you know, where were you when you heard the news? I would, we just moved house and uh, my dad rang me. He was at work and he just said, and I was like, why is my dad ringing me? And he, he rang the house phone and my mum went, your dad wants to speak to you. And I picked up the phone and he just went, Newcastle signed Shearer. And I was 11 years old, just watched him in Euro 96. So it was, it was literally... I'm a 35-year-old Newcastle fan, Keith, and I don't think I'm ever going to see a better squad of players in my lifetime. I don't think it'll ever be better. Like you say, it went up an, an, another level. And uh, the, the the reaction among fans was, well, well, that's that's the last piece of the puzzle. We're going to win the league now. And then we went to Wembley and lost 4-0 in the Charity Shield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were, uh, we were very poor that day. Uh, but... <laughs> I suppose charity shields don't really matter. You know, we were more interested because we'd come second in the league. We we wanted to, you know, go that one step further and, and, and try and win the league that season. I remember just thinking, how is it possible to lose with this team? I honestly remember thinking that we cannot lose. And we lost in the charity shield and we lost on the opening day to Everton. I was just like, what is going on? Yeah, we did. We lost to Everton 2-0. Um, yeah, so it was, it was quite a poor start to the season, but... I suppose these results happen. Um, you know, we ended up coming second that league, but we were never ever challenging um, for the title. You know, United were were you know too good for that season. We only got second place actually on the last day of the season. But there was the added bonus then of of you know um, qualifying for well Champions League football in terms of trying to get through the qualifying stages uh, with a playoff um, to get into the group stages. So. You know, there was um, there was a lot of sort of joy in terms of you know getting second place last day of the season and then you know getting into the Champions League. By January, Keegan's steps down after being pressured by the board to sign a new contract. Obviously, you know Kevin Keegan; he's very strong-minded. Probably didn't appreciate being pushed around. How did you find out the news, and and how did you react to it? Yeah, I just remember getting to the uh, to the training ground and. And I think the first person saying was Graham Courtney, the press officer, and he says the manager's gone. And I was like, "What?" I, you know, I was just, I was just totally shocked by it. Um, mm. I'm really disappointed because I, I loved, I, I know, you know, there was 
times where I was left out and I wasn't too pleased. Um, I, I, I loved playing for Kevin Keegan. You know, he was he was just great to be around. Um, so yeah, I was I was disappointed, and I think everybody was uh, because I just felt that he he started to build something, and now he'd gone without sort of following it through. I don't know he had his reasons, you know, but you know, I just I was just really disappointed because he's the sort of manager you'd play for him for the rest of your career, you know, providing he wanted you. Um, so yeah, I was uh, I was extremely disappointed by it. One of the reasons he gave was that he didn't feel like he could motivate the team anymore. Did you get any inclination that things weren't right and he might be thinking about leaving? No, not not really. You know, in terms of you looked at the dressing room and you know he'd, he'd been motivating us since I got to the club and you know you only had to look at the previous season where we came so close to win the league. You know, and now we're six months down the line. He's left. You know, I don't think there was any. You know, in terms of him motivating us. You know, I said it before. Everybody loved playing, playing for him, um, and just the man management skills that he had were were incredible. Um, so, I, I I don't get that side of it in terms of he could motivate us because, you know, he was uh, he was very motivational in terms of when he spoke to you, um, and you reacted to that. You know, you always everything he said. You know, you really reacted to it and wanted wanted to do it because you know I, I, I liked him I really liked him uh, as a manager as a person um, so yeah it was um, it was extremely disappointing you know when he did go Daglish came in and he'd, he'd won the league with Blackburn and I thought brilliant we've got someone who can get us over the line and seal the deal with the title obviously didn't happen how did you find Kenny? Yeah I, I got on great with Kenny um, I think you know I think if you look what Kenny did, you know, he, he he took us to second place. He got us in the Champions League. He got us to Wembley. You know, so it, people sort of look at his time in charge as a, maybe a little bit of a failure. But I look at it and think, well, you're trying to replace Kevin Keegan here. You know, it's like it's like Man United trying to replace Alex Ferguson. You know, it's taken a few managers, you know, to to get where they are now. But um, it, it it is difficult, but I certainly thought when he came in, I thought, yeah, we've got the right man here. And unfortunately, it just didn't didn't work out for him. You know, our, our, we qualified for the Champions League, but our, our performances the next year in the league were, were really poor. We ended up finishing the bottom half. Um, but he did take us to to uh, to an FA Cup final, uh, which you know was great for the fans. Although we we obviously lost that day, but. Um, yeah, I had a really good relationship with uh, with um, Kenny. It looks like you obviously got regular minutes under under Kane Dalglish as well, perhaps more so than you were getting under Keegan. However, I note that you were sent off at Arsenal at the end of that season. I've tried to look it up, but I can't find it. Can you remember the incident? Yeah, it was it was two yellow cards. Um, mm-hmm. I think I fouled Nigel Winterburn and two, twice. I think I fouled him. Just really, not really worth yellow cards <laughs> you know it's that was the, the annoying thing about it but we, we actually won the game that day 1-0 Robbie Elliott scored um, so that was a really important victory in terms of trying to get that second place mm-hmm. um, it was pretty much out of our hands you know because we thought Liverpool were possibly going to get it They had, I think they played Wimbledon the last day of the season I think all they needed was a point mm-hmm. um, and they got beat 2-1 away at, at um, Wimbledon and 
we beat, I think it was Nottingham Forest 5-0 last day of the season and, and mm. pipped Liverpool on goal difference. Um, so, yeah, it was a good end of the season and, you know, we we had the we had the added bonus, as I say, of looking forward to um, the Champions League uh, where we, we drew Denewa Zagreb um, yeah. over two legs to try and get you know, that's how difficult it was then in terms of Champions League. If you finish second, you still weren't guaranteed, you know, getting into the group stages. You know, now you look about, you know, the top four get in there. Um, so we had to go through the, you know, playing uh, Dynamo Zagreb and, and Fortsy just, just squeaking through. You've got a great memory to pick out all those bits. And what I want to ask you about is you also got sent off at Arsenal for Blackburn. Do you remember that? What What is it about Arsenal? Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> I did. I, I brought um, I brought Burkamp down. Uh, well, it was sort of just on the edge, just got into the box. But I thought he made a bit of a meal of it. It wasn't that. I didn't think it was a penalty, but I made the mistake of actually going over to him because he was rolling about, and I sort of stamped on his hand as well. So I got a yellow card, and then a yellow card again within a few seconds. So <laughs> you know, red card, and and off I was. <laughs> Red cards in me are uh, are a thing because I've obviously got the quickest red card in, in Premier League history as well. Well, we we weren't going to mention it. <laughs> so, <laughs> Can you tell us about the incident with the Sheffield United one? Because obviously, it looks like you've come off the bench and you've seen red the moment you cross the line. I did, yeah. Um, I think there've been a bit of previous the year before. You know, Reading and, and ourselves were going for the league, and we both got promoted. But you know, Stephen Hunt was. You know, it could be particularly annoying, but I'd gone down the line for a throw-in and he was stood <laughs> behind me and I could feel his hands on me and and I sort of just, you know, swung the arm um, and he sort of went down in installments, um, but it was straight <laughs> in front of the linesman um, and Mark Halsey came over, sent me straight off and I decided to attack Stephen Hunt again the way off. Um, so tw- <laughs> 12, 12. 12 seconds apparently is, is how long I was on the pitch but um, you know it, 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 so, some reports do say zero seconds sending off because the ball never actually came back into play mm-hmm. I was sent off before it came back into play so that was a, <laughs> a, as you say just a bit of red mist um, descended Was Neil Warnock your manager? I'm interested to hear what he might have said to you after the game No I was quite fortunate because um, I because of what happened, I started. I'd gone down the tunnel. I'd started this whole big ruckus then on the on the touchline, and Neil Warnock ended up getting sent off as well, just after me. <laughs> so uh, it actually worked out well for me because uh, you know what I did was was an automatic two week fine. But I knew if he fined me, he would have to fine himself. So he didn't fine us at all. <laughs> so it worked out well for me in the end. <laughs> Glass. Just dialing back then to ninety seven, ninety eight. Obviously, the you mentioned Zagreb going through the qualifiers, which is quite dramatic to get into the Champions League group stages. Bit of a mad pre-season, bearing in mind the season before Newcastle had signed Alan Shearer for a world record fee. Fast forward 12 months, they've sold Ferdinand, Aspria and Ginola and brought in Stuart Pearce, Ian Rush and John Barnes on free transfers. You know, Alan obviously got injured as well. Uh, which mm-hmm. was a real problem for us. Um, but John Dal Thomason came to the club with, you know, a good pedigree. Um, you know, and you only have to look at what he did after he left Newcastle. You know, he went and played for AC Milan and he was outstanding and he was outstanding for Denmark. And, you know, just sometimes, 
you know, people go to clubs and it doesn't work out, you know, because he was a very, very good player, John Dahl, a very intelligent player. But, you know, who who's to, to say if he had had been playing up, up front with Alan Shearer, things might have been different, you know, because he, was, he wasn't a striker. He was sort of in behind the striker. You know, so it might have been it might have been very different, but obviously getting rid of Les was was disappointing as well because you know he was he was a joy to play play with, you know, especially as I say, just getting the ball in the box. Les will get on the end of it. You know, Kenny had his ideas in terms of who he wanted to bring bring in. You know, he brought a bit of experience. Uh, maybe players who you know people raised their eyebrows at. You know, Stuart Pearce was was. Exceptional at the club, I thought. Uh, John Barnes, you know, although he was agent, John was 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 brilliant at times. Um, you know, so you know, people sort of want to point the finger and say you've brought in, you know, the old brigade, but they still they still did a really good job. Thomason is an interesting one. Do you remember when he went clean through on the first day of the season against Chef Wed and fluffed the chance? I think it might have been also different for him. You know, if he did, if he mm-hmm. put that chance away, um, mm-hmm. I was actually. Yeah, because I was actually suspended <laughs> for the first game of the oh, season yeah. <laughs> after, after getting sent off at the end of at the end of the season. So um, I missed that, but I remember watching it and thinking, and I've always, I've always thought that you know it might have been so different if he had gone through and put that away. You know, you just start with a goal, you know, and the confidence starts flowing, and unfortunately, you know, it just didn't work out for him. It didn't. It didn't. But this is the season, like you say, when we burst into the onto the Champions League scene, and play Barcelona at home. Uh, we've got to ask you about this night. It was probably one of the most fantastic nights, certainly of my career supporting Newcastle. I was at the game in the Gallagher end. You obviously were instrumental that night, man of the match. Did you get a feeling that something special was going to happen? Not not really. <laughs> you know, I remember standing in the uh, in the tunnel and you sort of just have a glance left and you see Rivaldo and you see Figo and, you know, Luis Enrique... You know, little De La Pena, who was a fantastic player, and just thinking, wow, you know, these are are mega, mega stars. Uh, and then you just, just that coming out, and you hear the the Champions League music is just incredible. Uh, but we we just started the game really well. We didn't really give them time to settle. Um, and then, you know, lo and behold, about fifty odd minutes, we're three 0 up against the great Barcelona. You know, just a, one of those nights. You know, on an individual basis, you know, the best game I've ever played. Um, just one of those nights where just everything went right. You know, put a couple of crosses in, put another one in where Tino actually maybe could have scored a fourth and the keeper made a great save. So um, they came back at us and scored two late ones, but it would have been an absolute travesty if they got something from that game because just the atmosphere that night, you know, Newcastle's first ever game in the Champions League and you're playing Barcelona at home. You know, and we beat them. It was just absolutely incredible. Um, a game that mm. you know I'll never ever forget. You know, if if I want to be, if I if I wanted just to be taken back to just one night, it would be Barcelona all over without a shadow of a doubt. God, me too, me too, Keith. <laughs> just just to sit in the Gallagher end and watch you. Uh, I was looking. I was looking at the the lineups today, and Barcelona's left back that night, Sergei Barjuan. I think he must have retired after the game because you just absolutely annihilated him. He must have been done after that. Well, he, um, it's funny because back then, you know, 97, you know, you look at what we got after that in terms of Sky Sports and you had, you know, Spanish football every weekend, sometimes three, four games. At that stage, 
you got a game every so often, so you wouldn't have sort of seen Barcelona that much. But I remember actually seeing Sergei, Sergei at um, playing for Spain. You know, he, he was he was the Spanish left back as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember seeing him playing for Spain in the Euros, Euro '96. You know, I thought, oh, he's mm-hmm. a good player. You know, so I knew a little bit about him. But you know, my big my uh, my big asset was obviously my pace, and you know, I always felt that I, I wanted to get run at a full back with plenty of grass beyond where I would just knock it and then just start galloping after it. And, and if I was quicker than the fullback, you know, nine times out of 10, I'd get there and I'd, I'd, I'd be able to get crosses in. And that was just one of those nights where, you know, maybe he didn't, he didn't know enough, enough about me. Um, you know, because if, if, if you know a player's got pace, you know, you want to get close to them before they can get turned and get running at you. Uh, so maybe he didn't, or maybe Barcelona hadn't done their homework on me. But it was just, as I say, one of those nights where just everything turned, everything goes right. It was honestly magical. Like you were just, you were just knocking it past him. It was one thing, you know, absolutely skinning him. But then you always got your cross in. And Tino that night, he just seemed to hang in the air for those crosses. It was magic. Yeah, for both goals, he was hanging. Um, you know, it's hard because I don't actually know which one my favourite is. You know, because the first one. You know, when you actually see him in the air, you know, my the thing about me crossing the ball, I always slid as a cross that as well, you know, and I've slid across mm. the Tino's just leap for the first one. But the second one, I suppose I ran from inside my own half. I sort of did a little yeah. half trick and got past them and then just as I say, knocked it out of my feet. Um, and then, you know, Tino was the only one in the box, the three defenders, and, and Tino just made a little bit of a dart to go to move towards the front post, but moved back uh, for the space. And the, the players had already gone to the front, and he, again, he just hung in. You know, what a what an incredible hat-trick um, against a, you know, a club like Barcelona. Is it true that uh, he'd gone missing in the days before this game and missed a flight back from Colombia and Daglish threatened to drop him? No, he was uh, he was late for a team meeting on the on the you know when we got to the ground. Um, so there uh, was he was possibly going to get dropped, but <laughs> fortunately um, he didn't. You know because he was outstanding that night as well. I just yeah, I just don't think Ian Rush would have gotten the end of the crosses like you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, well he might have done ten years previous to that, but um, you know Tino. <laughs> Tino, as I say, was just magical that night. What about obviously the, the the Barcelona team was amazing. Figo, Rivaldo, Luis Enrique. Did they congratulate you at the end? Were they gracious in defeat? Any? Did, is it true they all asked for your shirt? <laughs> I wish. Um, do you know? It's, it's, I mean, after the game is a bit of a blur. You know, I don't. I don't remember too much about it. You know, just it was obviously on cloud nine. That, you know those sort of things you want to sort of try and remember more, but I don't remember as much. You know, it's, it's funny, you know, because great results that I've had over the years, you know, be it for, for Newcastle or, you know, for Northern Ireland, we beat England, we beat, we beat Spain as well. And, you know, you don't remember that much after the game, you know, you're just on, you know, cloud nine about, about everything. So um, I don't remember too much what was said in the dressing room after the game. You know, I don't I, I knew it obviously had a good game and I know, you know, Kenny would have been, you know, very complimentary in what he said after the game, but I, I, I just can't think what it was. Fair enough. It was highlight watching you and, and that season was a bit of a mad one. The, the league didn't the, the league didn't go great, but then we had a, a fantastic cup run. 
made an FA Cup final for the first time in a while and you you just picked up an injury at the wrong time and, and just couldn't quite get fit in time to play. Yeah, I, a couple of weeks before the final, I got injured away at Tottenham um, and it just so happened I had a broken bone in my foot, which didn't show, not, show up in an x-ray. So even, you know, two days before the cup final, I'm doing a fitness test because I, I, I knew I would have played uh, because he ended up, he had to play Warren Barton right wing. Um, so mm-hmm. I knew I would have played, but I had a, had a fitness test and honestly, the fitness test lasted two seconds because what they just wanted me to do was a block tackle, try to block tackle. And that was the fitness test over with, you know, I just, uh, it was just really unfortunate, you know, getting to the final and, you know, the semi-final was a great occasion, you know, at Old Trafford when we beat Sheffield United and looking mm-hmm. forward to playing at Wembley in, in, in a cup final. And un- unfortunately, as I said, just picked up an injury a couple of weeks before it. Devastating, yeah. And obviously, we, we know what happened in the in the cup final. Arsenal won, Arsenal won double. And then we go into the next season and quite strange, Daglish leaves, but like maybe one or two games into the season and, and Hullet comes in. That was a bit unusual. Yeah, um, I think Kenny started off with a couple of draws. You know, one of those. I think he, I think we drew away at Chelsea, and he got sacked after yeah. that. You know, and and yeah, you know, drawn away at Chelsea. That's a good point. Um, you know, so it was. Uh, yeah, it was a strange one that the. You know, you think they're going to sack somebody the second at the start of the season. Um, you know, so it was what I call it. It was a. It was a strange one, and. You know, I was disappointed because, as I said, a good relationship with Kenny. Um, you know, and I don't know what the, the board were thinking about then, you know, to, to sack a manager two games into the season. You know, you, even if you lost the first two games, you know, it's probably still not the right time to sack somebody. Give give them a chance, you know, to, to, to pick up a head of steam. But to get two draws and then all of a sudden to sack them, you know, it was a crazy one for me. And then Rude Hullock comes in and then obviously the fans really like that decision and, you know, the club seems to be on a high again. How did you find Rude? Yeah, well, unfortunately, uh, when he came in, you know, I was still injured actually from from the previous May um, from right. the cup final. You know, as I said, because um, I had the broken bone in my foot and I was, I was training pre-season and I was in so much pain, but I was just sort of thinking it'll heal itself. And then... Um, that showed up in an MRI that um, had a broken bone in my foot. Um, so um, I didn't play an awful lot um, when, when Rude was there. Um, and funnily, funnily enough, um, when I did get fit, um, I, I managed to get into the team then. But by the time that I got into the team, I, I think I maybe played four games in the trot. I played my last game was actually against Middlesbrough. We, we drew two each in a, in a live game on a Sunday. And I left the club on the Wednesday to sign for Blackburn because I was in the last year of my contract and they'd offered me a new contract and I was looking for better terms. Um, so they realised that if they didn't sort of cash in, you know, I could leave in the summer on a Bosman because uh, it had been 24 then. So they uh, they sold me then to Blackburn uh, in uh, December. Is it true that you nearly joined Borough? Yeah, to be fair, that's that's actually how I um, found out that there was a broken bone in, in my foot because I had a I had a medical and agreed agreed terms and you know they agreed a fee of three and a half million. Um, you know, Brian Robson was the manager, um, so yeah, everything was agreed. But when I had the medical, they seen that there was this broken bone in my foot. Oh, Keith, what could have been? I know, I remember being at home and. Uh, 
Brian Robson ringing me, you know, saying that they couldn't do the deal because of the broken bone in the foot. So I rang Kenny and, and you know, when it had happened, Kenny knew nothing about it, that, you know, that they were pretty much trying to sell me behind Kenny's back. So I remember ringing Kenny and I said, bad news, you know, I failed the medical and uh, Kenny was great. He says, that's not bad news for me. You're still in my plans. You know, so mm. that was great to sort of hear that. But you know, as I say, the club had offered me a four-year contract, but when I got back and I had the broken bone of my foot, then I think uh, Freddie Fletcher had, had told the newspapers, the, the Chronicle, that uh, my career was in doubt. I might never play again. Um, so I wasn't, you know, best pleased with this. You know, this is my livelihood and, you know, he shouldn't be coming out with stuff like that, especially when the physios and, and experts are saying that, you know, it will heal and I'll be okay. So they, they took the four-year contract off the table and offered me a one-year contract, which was really taking the mick. Mm-hmm. You know, they said, at least it's a bit of security for you for a year. You know, so I obviously was turning that down. And, you know, as I say, I got back to full fitness then and, and then uh, then signed for Blackburn. Did Robbo sell Borough to you? I'd like, be quite keen to know what he said to you. Well, to be fair, Brian Robson was my hero growing up, you know, and I was lucky to be on Adam with Man United. So... You know, it was more. It was more the fact of working under Brian Robson as well, mm-hmm. uh, but I knew, you know, they they, are, they had a great stadium and you know a great training ground and everything. And you know, I went down and spoke to him and spoke to Viv, Viv Anderson. Um, so yeah, everything was agreed. And uh, it just so happened actually there was a there was a tournament at the Riverside and it was Newcastle and Middlesbrough. I think it might have been Benfica and Fiorentina back then, and um, I was back down at. Middlesbrough the next day and, and they even announced that it signed you know at Middlesbrough yeah. um, and, and Kenny was, in, was interviewed after the game on Sky and I, I knew nothing about it which you know was a bit embarrassing you know not very nice of Newcastle to sort of do that mm. oh Keith it saddens me it saddens me <laughs> Right then, half time in Keith Gillespie, and we're going to pay homage to our fantastic sponsors, Tops Match Attacks. We are grateful for them sponsoring the show, but we're especially grateful for them for sending us some merchandise. Mm. They sent us a UEFA Champions League official sticker book and 50 packs of stickers and some tins as well. So me and Richie have been unpacking them and sticking them in our sticker book. Last week we did Searching for Shiny Swap Shop Part 1. Richie uh, went through his book and I told him which swaps I had and we tried to complete his book which we almost did it got you got you about maybe 20 yeah, stickers yeah we did, did very well actually within touching distance of completing the book this time it's my turn we're going to go through my book see what I'm missing and see if Richie can help me out with some swaps mm. so we're going to just go through the book and you know what I've just noticed right the UEFA Champions League sticker book official collection season 2020-21 the inside back cover there's a little lad in a Newcastle kit oh god <laughs> an advert for the UEFA Foundation for Children. And there's a little lad there in a toolkit. Love it. Pointing at the camera. That's made my day, that. Hmm. Anyway, on to this. First page, Real Madrid. I need three stickers. Okay, let's do it. Eden Hazard, Isco, Mendy. Mendy and Hazard. I have them both. Yes. Wow. Good start. So I'm just an, I'm just an Isco away from completing Real Madrid. Barcelona, I need their big sticker next to the shiny badge. don't know what you call that. Want uh, to watch? Yeah, I don't have that, I'm afraid. Ah, and then I need... Oh, God, I need Messi and Suarez. I've got Suarez. Have you? Yeah. Oh, just missing the missing the little guy. Atletico Madrid. Mm-hmm. Felipe, Lodi and Savic. I've got Lodi. 
that'll do me. Two away from completing Atletico. Oh, can this? I've not completed one page yet. No. Sevilla, I need one player. Mm-hmm. Jesus Navas. Oh, sorry, bud. Don't have him. Oh. Oh, Liverpool. Wijnaldum and Origi to complete. Uh, hang on, Liverpool. I've got Origi. Yes. I'm a genie away from completing Liverpool. City, I need Ake and Rodri. No, don't have them. And I think, actually, our old friend in Slovenia, Silvino, has promised me Aki, because I need right. him as well. So, shotgun. But we'll, more on, more on Sl- Slovenian football at the end of this segment. Man United. I need a few Man United players. McTominay, Mata, Pogba. Yes, Pogba. Right. Greenwood? Nope. Ah. Chelsea, I need the one to watch, big sticker. Nope. Aspilicueta. Oh, Hamas. yes. Sorry. Yeah, I've got Chelsea's one to watch. You've got it? Yeah. Good, good. Have you got have have, have you got Havertz in Aspilicueta? I do not. Ah, we move to Juve. Chiellini, Demorial. I've only got Delict from Juve. Right. Moving swifty on to Inter. I need uh, Inter. I, I have no Inter players. Ah, oh, this is a shambles. Italy stickers are hard to come so, by. I found. Atalanta, Palomino. Only, only got one. It's the one to watch. Oh. Is, Sorry, it was a good start, and now we've. Italy away was now. A, t- a struggle for me. It was a struggle the whole way through. I need two Lazio players: Lazari and Carrera. Nope. And you got one, Patrick. Okay, I need one sticker to complete Bayern Munich. Please tell me you've got Joan Boateng. I have Joan Boateng. Yes. <laughs> Completed a page. <laughs> Come on, Bayern. Yeah. Right, we're on a roll. Dortmund. Yeah. I need two stickers. Mm-hmm. Mounier and Emre Chan. I've got Mounier. I don't have Chan, I'm afraid. Ooh, close. Leipzig, I need one sticker. Yep. <laughs> is this is this one of their Asian players? He Chan Huang. Got. Yes! <laughs> Leipzig, completed. Oh, I need one to complete Munch and Gladbach. Yep. Oscar Went. No, sorry. Okay. One to complete PSG. Verratti. Uh, hang on a second. Nope. Staying in France, Marseille. One to complete. Ballardi. Ballardi, number ten. Yeah. Got. Yeah. He's <laughs> yes. the only Marseille sticker I've got. That is, that is extraordinary. Beautiful. Stad Rene. Yeah. We have Jeremy Jelin. Nope. Zenit. Oh, here we go with the pronunciations. <laughs> I've only got one Caravet. sticker, so I'm going to save you. I've only got Santos. Nah. Oh, that's a lie. Enough. That's a lie. I've got Rigoni and Suteramin. I'll have Rigoni. Okay. Happy days. Yep. Okay, I need a few Locomotive Moscow. Have you got, got any of them? I've got a few. I need I need uh, Choluca. Can't believe he's still going. Got. Grikoviac. Got. Yes. Kameno. No. Marilio. Got. Yes. There we go. I'll have th- those three. Decent. One away from completing Locomotive. Porto. I need Chancel and Bemba, ex-Newcastle. Um, Porto. I haven't got any Porto. Oh. I would have liked Mbemba. I need two to complete Bruges. I need Badgie and Ritz. Oh, no. I've got a few Bruges players. N- not not those guys, though. Donetsk. I need Piatov, who is their goalkeeper. I've, and... I've only got Tete. Nah, not good enough for me. Hmm. Istanbul, Bashikter. Got any of them? I got, yeah, I've got three. I've got. I need the keeper. Nope. I need 
Carlos Ponce. Ponk? Yep. I've got Ponk. Yes. Bank him. I need two Ajax. Okay, hang on. Where's Gra- Ajax? I need the Graven Birch. Got. And I need Dest. No good. Oof. Close. Okay, we're on to... Are we on to POFs now? Playoff players. Do you have your um, playoff player swaps to hand? I don't think I've got any. You don't have any? You're kidding me. No, every single one I opened. 100? Every single one I opened, I needed. That makes sense, actually, because there is... Honestly, there's about 100. Yeah. Okay. Ah, that's, this is where... The t- this is going to separate the men from the boys, the playoff oh, yeah. stickers. And, 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 yeah. Interesting. Just on the Michelin page, I wanted to say that they're, they're just the badge is just a total rip-off of Charlton. <laughs> it's just Charlton Athletic. I can picture it. Joel, our producer, is a Charlton fan. He he like he like that page. Mm. And also wanted to I wanted to, I don't know if you've got your book in front of you, but I wanted to point you out to something I've noticed on the Liverpool page. Yeah. Right. All of the other pages have action shots of, of the players. Mm. Uh, a couple have posed pages mm-hmm. like uh, Barcelona. Yeah. Liverpool have posed. <laughs> you got your book in front of you. Yep. If you turn to the Liverpool page, mm-hmm. they've got Trent. And Andy Robertson and Virgil Van Dyke posing running, they're like <laughs> pretending to run. I'll, I'll put this on social media, but they've obviously just went. Look at Virgil Van Dyke's one to watch sticker. <laughs> they've just went, Virgil, can you just run for us, please? Mm-hmm. Maybe you had to do that when he was injured. Maybe that's why he's injured. It's remarkable. <laughs> mm. So I just a couple of things, but uh, it's been good doing this. Confession: I don't We've, have a book in front of me. Okay, but, but I'm going to put a picture on social media for you. You can see <laughs> Liverpool players feigning running. Okay. We obviously had a prize that we gave away on social media, and it was won by Slovenian Football. I posted the prize all the way over to Slovenia. He got in touch to say thank you. He sent us a picture, which we put on Twitter. And maybe next week, for the last episode of Season 1, we could get him on wow. and do Swap Shop with him. Have you? I've still got loads of swaps left here. Have you got all your Rising Stars and everything? You've yeah, got... I've got the lot. Oh, okay. Yeah, all right, well, that sounds good. Um, I'll let you pick up the bill for posting the stuff out there. But, yeah. Well, I've already posted it, so it's already done. <laughs> yeah, the swaps, though. Claim that back from HMRC. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> maybe we'll do Swap Shop round three, international version, with Slovenian football. Says he's keen, he's got loads of swaps. We okay. need those playoff players, so let's do it. Sounds good. In the meantime. Yeah, come on, let's get back to the reason everybody's here. Back to Keith. It's Keith. Onto Blackburn then. Were you under... Was it Roy Hodgson who signed you, Keith? No, it was Brian Kidd. Um, oh, okay. I, knew, I knew Brian Kidd from my time at... Uh, of course. At Man United, obviously. Uh, he'd just taken the job. I was actually his first signing. Uh, but they were obviously struggling when he took over. We were bottom of the league. Unfortunately, we couldn't get out of it and finish third bottom. So that was us relegated to the uh, to the championship, which was such a shame, because you know, you're talking about a side that three years previous had... I'd won the Premiership, you know, and it was a, it was a fantastic club and really enjoyed it. You know, I spent four and a half years at Blackburn. Uh, I loved it there. Uh, but as I said, it was unfortunate in terms of I signed in, in, the, in the December and we got relegated in the May. Um, so it was, a, it was down to the Championship then for me. I remember that game was very strange. You actually played Man United and it was obviously Alex Ferguson against Brian Kidd, who they'd worked together for years. I mean, obviously, how much have you felt knowing Ferguson and Kidd and your Man United connections and that is the team that sent your new club down? Yeah, no, it was strange that night. You know, we drew the game in the late that night, which, you know, mm. would, 
normally be a really good result, but unfortunately we needed to win. So, yeah, it was uh, it was it was a strange one. Um, yeah, I think it's always strange playing against your, you know, an old club, you know, and even even you know playing for Blackburn against you know Newcastle, you know, yeah. felt strange. You know, I remember I signed for for Blackburn in December, and I think we got them in the the FA Cup. The third round or fourth round, um, I think Louis Louis Saha scored in the replay at the Ewood Park and beat us one 0 But I remember my first time coming back was that game when we drew nil eight in the FA Cup, and I was really disappointed because there was quite a few Newcastle fans when you know, were booing me, and I was sort of thinking, you know, I know it's a small sort of minority, but I had such a good relationship with the Newcastle fans, and you know, I've spoke to sort of Newcastle fans since, and they've they've even mentioned it to me, saying, you know, that. That should should never happen, you know, getting booed, you know, by Newcastle fans. But you know, as I say, I suppose it is just a small minority. It's because they knew you were trying to force a move to Borough. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, as I say, I was I was in the last year of my contract at that time as well, and yeah, you, you know, they were they were I'd refused the new contract, so they obviously thought three and a half million, you know, they could lose me in a year for 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 nothing, you know. So I even thought when when I signed for Blackburn. You know, Blackburn shouldn't have paid the money that they did because they ended up paying two point three five million. But you know, six months six months time, I was going for a free. Mm-hmm. You know, so they obviously wanted to get you know players in straight away because of new manager. But you know, I think if they had offered Newcastle one million, you know, Newcastle should have just you know would have bit their hands off the fact that they were getting you know something rather than nothing at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So going back to Blackburn, and obviously you're now in the Championship. And Sunes takes over as manager. What was he like to work with? It was quite strange at first. You know, he took over the he took over manager. You know, I think it was about March time, February, March time. You know, maybe ten games left this season. We're not going to get promoted. We're not going to get playoffs. We're not going to get re- relegated. So I remember I played. I think I played in about four first four games, and I'd done really well. I actually I scored on his first game. Um, his first game was away at Fulham and I chipped the keeper from about 25 yards we drew the game two each and um, I'd done really well but I remember him saying to me you know he wanted to have a look at players you know for next season obviously you know because you know we're safe from relegation and we can't get in the playoffs so that was fine you know but I didn't play any more games I was always on the bench um, so I remember coming back for pre-season and you know it was strange because he just never spoke to me, just blanked me and the boys went in pre-season. I didn't go in pre-season and never gave me any reasons behind it. Um, so it was a it was a real strange one. Um, and then I went out on loan to Wigan in the December. I was training reserves. And again, no reasoning behind it whatsoever. Went to Wigan for a month, came back, training again after Christmas. And then I remember just one day, one Sunday, um, when the first team played, um, they trained on a Sunday, you know, like a warm down and had Monday off. So, you know, everybody had to be in then, you know, the reserves and all, and all had to be in there on the Sunday. So I remember coming in the Sunday and he just pulled me in the dressing room and he says, you're playing on Tuesday night. And it was an FA Cup game against Derby. I went at Derby and I had to actually say to him, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm cup tied. I played for Wigan in it. Mm. Um, but then the following Saturday, uh, he put me straight into the team. I played the rest of the season and, and helped us get promotion. And then from then on, my relationship with him was pretty good. But, you know, those early days, you know, I, I, 
I see he's even wrote something in his book and he says that he was particularly hard on me and, and, and he, he doesn't give a reason for it. Um, you know, so it was, it was you know, tough times. You know, when you're not playing, you're training all week, you're training reserves and then all of a sudden he gives you a chance again and, you know, you just have to take it and luckily it did and, as I say, helped us get promotion back to the Premier League. That's just so weird. Like, I can't, I can't get my head around that. That you're out on the training pitch. Like, how did you find out you weren't going to on the preseason tour? Like, what, what actually happened there? No, no you know, it's like a, a squad's put up, and you know, you just you're not on it. Um, you know, so I had no idea that that was going to happen. But then it was a case of you know coming into the training ground and. You know, just walking down the corridor towards the changing rooms in the morning and he'd be walking by you. Not even a good morning, nothing. You know, it was uh, it was all very strange. Uh, but as I say, my, my relationship, you know, got better with him, you know, because I, as I say, I got into, I got into the side then, helped us get promotion and then we're back in the Premiership and, and, and played the majority of games the following season in the Premiership. Um, I think we came sixth in the league, um, and then we won the, the the Worthington Cup where I played in as well. So, mm. as I say, my relationship got better, but you know, I couldn't. I, I I've still no idea. I can't explain why. Mm. You know, he treated me like he did. You know, in the early days, I just don't understand. Like, obviously, Ketch and I haven't been in that environment. But if if someone were you not sort of waving your hand saying, "I'm here," what what's going on? Like, were you going to talk to him or? Well, I, you know, I wasn't one. I wasn't one for going and knocking on managers' doors. That just wasn't me. And I even remember actually when I was playing the Premiership, and uh, I remember playing away at Arsenal, and we drew three each, and I scored. And I was left out the following week. And I remember him coming to me during the week, and he said to me, "Why were you knock, not knocking on my door, asking why you weren't playing?" Mm. And I sort of said, "Well, that's not. That's just not the way I am." But the fact that he was asking me that, you know, probably told you that he knows he should have been playing me in the first place. Mm. You know, so um, it was just a, a strange one. I mean, people like the managers like to sort of do that in terms of test people's character, mm. you know, how they react to things. Um, you know, maybe I shouldn't accept it, but I suppose if it's in your nature to go and knock on a manager's door, you go and do it. But if it's not, you know, you don't want to be controversial or you, yeah, or stuff like that. You know, that just wasn't me. I'm annoyed for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as a, as a Newcastle fan, Graham Souness isn't my favourite person, but we've had a number of players on the podcast who played under him, and they all spoke highly of Souness. But he never played any weird mind games with them like that. That's very strange. Yeah, I suppose if if you know, I can say that because I was I felt I was treated harshly. You know, if if a manager treats you well. Of course, you're going to like him. You're not going to have mm. anything to say about him or say something bad about him. But I'm sure there's plenty of plenty of players over the years will probably have the same opinion of me. You know, and I mean that's not to say I don't like the bloke because I did like the bloke. You know, and the, the you know our relationship you know just improved as 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 it went along because you know he put me back in. I started putting performances in, and 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 you know, then back to the Premiership was putting performances in again. I'm just going to talk about Leicester City, your next career move. I'm just looking at the um, the squad that you um, joined. Les Ferdinand was in there, Nigos Dabizas and Steve Howie. It's like a Newcastle reunion. Steve Guppy as well. Yep, that's right. I mean, we, you can't, or Leicester just got promoted back to the Premier League, but I think we were all free transfers. 
<laughs> you know, it's crazy when you think uh, when you think of the money that the clubs spend now when they get to the Premier League. You know, they're not going to go out and get free, free transfers. You know, so there was the four of us were were free transfers. Yeah, I I, I was out of contract at uh, at Blackburn. Um, it's funny because when I signed a new, when I signed it for Blackburn, I was offered a five and a half year contract, and and, and I, I turned it down. I only signed a four and a half year. So I spent before the full four and a half years there and seen out the contract. And then obviously Leicester went to them. Um, so it was nice actually, you know, when you go to a club that you've got familiar faces. Um, you know, Billy McKinley was at Blackburn with me. He had gone to Leicester. Um, mm-hmm. John Curtis came, who was at Blackburn mm-hmm. with me. Uh, Higgy came as well. You know, so there was a, a lot of sort of people. Jerry Taggart was there who played, you know, Northern Ireland with. You know, so it was, mm-hmm. it's it's nice actually going to a dress room where you know so many people because I'd say when I joined when I joined Blackburn, I don't think I knew anybody. Um, you know, so it's nice actually coming to a new place, a new club, and and there is so many for our friendly faces about. Mm. A question out of left field for you: what what does it actually feel like being relegated, and and, and how long does that live with you? Yeah, it's. Um, yeah, it's not nice, you know, because, uh, you know, looking back, it's, it's three times actually I've been relegated. You know, obviously six, I was only at Blackburn for from December until the end of the season. But, you know, still, it's a horrible feeling in that dressing room. I had that feeling again at um, Sheffield United, which which was probably the worst one to take. Um, you know, because going into that last day, um, you know, it was in our hands. We knew that if we got a point at home to Wigan, we stayed up. We knew if we lost and West Ham lost to Man United Old Trafford, mm-hmm. we stayed up. So it was very much in our favour. You know, we lost the game despite absolutely battering Wigan. We lost the game. And then, you know, West Ham went to, to Old Trafford and, and beat United. United had already won the league and I think they had a Champions League coming up, maybe, final um, or an FA Cup final. Um, so they went there and, and you know, Carlos Tevo scored the goal. Um, so that was the that was really the hardest one to take because I really felt that you know we ha- we would stay up. I really felt that going into that last day of the season we were going to stay up. So that was that was the hardest one. But you know it's just a it's just a really difficult place to be the dressing room after the game because just nobody knows what to say. Mm. You know you've worked all season, you know, and it comes down to one game, and unfortunately it wasn't a day. And not to dwell on it too much, um, but are you having sleepless nights about it, or are you, are you? By the time you get around to the next season, have you forgotten about it, or are you still feeling glum? Or how long does it take to wear off? Yeah, no, I mean, it, you, you're still sort of three, four weeks. You know, you've obviously gone away for your summer holidays and that, but you're obviously thinking, "Well, oh, I'm going back to the championship next year." You know, and mm. everybody wants to play in the Premiership. Um, you know, so it is. It does linger with you for a bit, but then obviously you get back to preseason and you're ready to go again. Uh, yeah. Brian Robson, Brian Robson had just taken over. Um, you know, so I was very much in his plans. Yeah. Um, so as I say, I missed the out the opportunity when I failed the medical at Middlesbrough. So now I had the chance to to work with him again. And obviously, the the West Ham one's infamous because of the shady dealings to get Tevez in there. Can you tell me a bit about? Was it? I assume it was Warnock at the time. Yeah. What's What's he like in the dressing room after you've been relegated? And is he fuming 
about Tevez or is he consoling the lad? What's he like as a character at that point? No, again, he's he's not fuming. He's just, there wasn't really much said. You know, you're just gone in the dress room and everyone's heads down. You know, and there's nothing that he was going to say was going to, going to help or, you know, we, we'd given everything we can on the pitch, you know, we'd, we hit the post, we hit the crossbar, just, it just wasn't meant to be. And that day, um, you know, so there wasn't an awful lot said by him, you know, our faces said it all, his face said it all. We're just, you know, devastated by it. The last question I'm going to ask you about relegation. Have what's have you ever seen any really bad reactions from players? Like if you've seen players losing the temper or putting in transfer requests or anything like that? Does that, Does that happen? No, not no, not at all. Um again, as I mentioned, you're just lost for words, you know, you're just distraught. Um you know, not not only for the club, but for the fans, you know. The fans went to that ground that day this, you know, Sheffield United thinking it's in our hands here we've got Wigan you know if, if we if we beat Wigan Wigan go down if Wigan beat us we've still got another chance and hope that Man United beats West Ham you know so the chances for us to go down were, were quite minimal you know in, in terms of you expect Man United to beat West Ham at, at home um, so yeah I mean our, I've said it before just our faces just said it all. You know, you just look around the dressing room. Everyone's hands are in their head. Our heads are in their hands. Um, you know, and it's just, it's not a nice place to be. Um, you know, it's, unfortunately, this is the, the nature of football where there's promotion, relegation. You know, you have the euphoria of promotion, but, you know, Wigan had the, the euphoria of staying up that day and it's at our ground and we've got to go through the, the relegation phase. So Keith, post Sheffield United then, your career is obviously starting to, to wind down a little bit. What's it like at this stage of your career? Is it is it a challenge to, you know, stay fit and find decent contracts? Or do you quite enjoy going down a bit and being the big fish in a little pond? You went to Bradford City, you went back to Ireland and there's a spell at Darlington there as well for you. Yeah, no, I mean, I just, I was always told to play for as long as I could, you know, and I, I ended up retiring when I was 38. And, and you know, I mentioned people before who didn't get the, that opportunity, who got injured and, and career was cut short. So I, I was always going to play for as long as I could. And it didn't matter what level. Um, you know, I've actually, during lockdown, we formed a team over here called FC Minewell. Um you know, to help a lot of people with mental health. You know, we're linked to mental health charity. So I've actually just come out of retirement. <laughs> um, Brilliant. Just uh, during lockdown, you know, we, we had uh, we had about six games this season and obviously lockdown curtailed that again. So I'm back playing again at 46. Um, you know, we're looking forward to the new season starting, um, day July, August, whenever it's going to be. Um, you know, so I just, I just love the enjoyment of, of, of playing football, even at my age. You know, probably it's not a good decision at times. You know, when I wake up and I can hardly move, but you know, it's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's enjoyable. You know, I love. You know, it's nice having that. It's nice having that sort of Saturday afternoon where, you know, I had it for so for so long where 
no matter what's going on in your life, you're out on a football pitch and just everyone's forgotten about. Absolutely. You can get out, you can get out of a football pitch and you know, be at the level that it is. It's not the strongest level in the world, but you know, you're out enjoying yourself and you just forget about everything. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, all right in saying that you had a trial with French Varos? I did, yes. Uh, Craig Short was the manager who was uh, the team okay. made of mine at, at Blackburn. Uh, I, used to, I used to live in Harrogate and used to travel in with Craig Short when we were at Sheffield United together. So he wanted to sign me, but I didn't, I didn't always see eye to eye with Kevin Blackwell, the manager of Sheffield United. Ferenc Farris had a, a relationship with Sheffield United, like Sheffield United would send players there as you know, to get experience playing and all that there. So he pretty much, you know, put the block on that because uh, I was actually going to sign for Ferenc Farris um, and he put the block on that. So we never, we never seen IDI from, from day one, just manager that, you know, for me was a bully and he knew I thought he was a bully and I told him he was a bully. And um, so he put the, uh, he put the block on that. I heard lots of stories about, about people not being keen on him. So you, you're not the first, I'm sure you wouldn't be the last. Oh, I know. I've, I, I, to be fair, I haven't heard one story uh, where people are keen on him. Um, so <laughs> I, I know, I know when, uh, when I'm talking about him that there is plenty in the same boat, think the same. Mm, he's at Borough now, so perfect. Yeah, I, I know. I know. Yes. I know. Yes. <laughs> Um, should we move on to talk a little bit about Northern Ireland? We've not covered any of your international stuff as yet. Eighty-six caps. I mean, that's an impressive haul. How would you reflect on your on your career for your country? Ah, oh, it meant everything for me playing for Northern Ireland. Um, you know, I would. I went. I went to games when I was a kid. I'd have been happy playing once, pulling on that green shirt. But to sort of do it eighty-six times was was incredible. At some great times, and um, you know, there's times where you, you know. We played Germany one time, and I think I was out of contract at Leicester, um, and they couldn't get any insurance for me. You know, I hadn't signed for a club, and you know, Northern Ireland said to me that, um, you know, I didn't have to play, but I just wanted to play. You know, and probably stupid at the time because I got injured, and that, you know, that was me out of football. You know, I wasn't at, I wasn't associated with the club, but I just loved playing for Northern Ireland, loved playing in front of the fans. Fans are incredible. Uh, had some had some difficult times um, in terms of how we were doing on the pitch, but you know you think about you know beating England in two thousand five, beating beating the Spain side in two thousand six mm-hmm. that that never lost a competitive game for three years after that. You know, and you're looking at that Spain side, and you're looking at Xavi, and you're looking at Torres, and you're looking at Nadal and Casillas, and you know Iniesta's on the bench. Um, you know David Villa um, absolutely incredible side they were and you know we beat them 3-2 and that was like a campaign you know, we had a, we had a qualifying campaign of Spain Denmark Sweden Iceland Latvia and Liechtenstein we beat Denmark at home we beat Sweden at home we beat Latvia at home we beat Liechtenstein at home and we lost to Iceland at home mm. um, we lost the, we lost the Iceland away and we lost to Latvia away and if we had had one of those games, we would have qualified. Um, mm. We finished. We finished third in the group. But we even went. We even went away to Sweden. Drew. We went away to Denmark. Drew. We went away to Spain. Got beat one nil. You know, we had some incredible results in that campaign. Um, you know, and as I said, I've just named the countries there. That mm. is that. That is the group of death. <laughs> you know, when you think about the Scandinavian countries there: Sweden, Denmark, 
and Iceland, and then you add Spain to the mix. You know, so yeah, I uh, had some amazing times in Northern Ireland, um, and had a great relationship with the fans. They knew, they knew in terms of they could see the effort, you know, the hunger that I had and playing for Northern Ireland, and um, how, how much I wanted to win, uh, how much I wanted to play. Um, so the relationship with the fans was was incredible. When I was, again, doing the research, one of the things which I read up on was a, there was a bit of a skirmish with George McCartney. Can you remember that? Yeah, in Iceland, it was, I mean, it was all a bit of, a bit of nothing because um, somebody had lost, their, Johnny Evans had lost their passport and and the boys were looking for it in the bus and I was looking for it as well. And then uh, I remember uh, our, the boys had got off the bus and, and somebody came on to back on the bus and, and said, George says that I had it. And I didn't have it because I was looking for it on the bus. So when I got in the airport, I had to go at George to, um, as to why he said it. Um, and that was that. And then we got on to, when we got on to the plane, we had words again and, you know, a bit of fisty cuss. But, you know, nothing. It was sort of, more was made out of it than, than it was. And, you know, George, there was never a problem with me and George, you know, from that, you know, straight away we were, we were friends again. But you know, as I say, that the the press like to sort of overhype yeah. it and, and sensationalize it at times. It's a shame because I've read that it took like a scene from Air Force One or from Snakes on a Plane or something. It doesn't sound like it was quite as exciting as that. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> it was done and dusted in, in seconds. Can I ask though, were you on a private plane or is that like? Are there other passengers on there witnessing that? No, it, there, there's other passengers. You know, <laughs> right, so that, that that's not you know we we didn't have the luxury of private planes very often, <laughs> uh, but um, yeah we were but no, the the plane wasn't pretty wasn't as full at that stage you know people were still sort of getting on so there wasn't as many on the on the plane at that stage. They, they all turned around. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and get on this plane. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mentioned in my intro that you're part of a dying breed. It's as almost as if natural wingers are not so common as as they were in the 90s. You you were fantastic at always getting your crosses in. I, I remember that so vividly. Um, is it a dying art? Does it annoy you when wingers cut inside and play the ball shorter? Yeah, it's the way formations are set up now. Um, you know, as, when I was at Newcastle, all we knew was 4-4-2. Um, sure. You know, even going to Blackburn, four four two. You know, you sort of look at, you look at what Man City do now, and you know they don't even play with striker at times. It's this false, false number nine or false ten, whatever they call it. Um, but that's the way it was. I mean, you don't see, you don't see these big centre forward type people like a Shearer or a Ferdinand now who thrive on crosses. Who, who you get the ball up to him, they. They hold it in. They they play it out wide. They get into the box. That's just not the way football is nowadays, and it's a shame because you know, as I said before, wingers are wingers entertain you know the fans because you know certainly when I was playing, I, there's times where I knew I was getting the ball and I could literally feel the you know the fans behind me, you, you know, moving mm. forward, you know, like like you do when you're watching a game and something's going to happen because they knew that that was, that was my game. That's what I was going to try and do. I was going to try and run with the ball, dribble the ball, get crosses in. And, you know, it's, it's a great sight in terms of watching a football match and watching a winger flying down the wing, putting a cross in and you see a big centre forward just coming in and powering a header in. 
you know, like Tino did against against uh, Barcelona or Alan did many times, Les did. Um, you know, so it's just the way the game's gone. You know, just teams don't play play that way now. Um, you know, people don't, they, you know, a lot of clubs don't even play two up top now. You know, you, mm. you think about the times when they used to play the big man and the little man. <laughs> you know, the, the mm. big man does the knockdowns and for the little man. You know, it's just it's just the way football's gone now. They just don't they don't just don't deploy that that formation anymore. Fair enough, yeah. And and one other thing I wanted to speak to you about, Keith. Your book is fantastic, by the way. I'd advise anyone listening to to give that a go. You spoke openly and very bravely in that book about your gambling problems as a player. Many players suffer with that addiction and still do. Do you have a stance on the Premier League clubs advertising gambling companies on their shirts? Newcastle, for example are sponsored by a, an Asian gambling company at the minute. Does that bother you at all? I mean, it's it's not ideal because it is it is so rife, um, you know, the gambling side of things, especially in football um, and especially with players. You know, it's it's just the culture over here in terms of dressing rooms. You, know, you get three or four who, who like the horses, you know, especially you sort of see that on coaches where there's maybe four four lads playing cards, there's a couple watching movies, couple reading books, couple on their phones putting bets on. And that's that's most dressing rooms. Um mm. but it's it's not ideal. But I suppose when you know you the, the club's generating money as well. Uh, but the majority of or a lot of clubs, you know, have gone down that road route in terms of advertising on their shirts. You know, and you, I mean, you only have to look at, you know, if you're watching a game on TV and, you know, half time comes, what's the first advert you see? Ray Winston, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. such and such is a price. You know, that's where that's where it's really wrong because it's it's so accessible to get a bet on now. People just sit with their phone in their hand and they'll see this advert and they go, oh, yeah, that's right, right, mm-hmm. straight on. And, you know, it, it, it gets way out of control then for, for a lot of people. Yeah, I do think it'll change, not overnight, but I do sense something is is changing and uh, I think it would be a move that would be good for everyone, to be honest with you. Got one more question then, and um, this is Searching for Shinies, that's the name of our podcast, and we're asking every player who comes on the show, who is your shiny player? So this is the best player you've played with or against in your career. Um, gosh, that's a, a real tough one. Um, best to play with... Gosh, probably Cantona. You know, Cantona was mm. just, and I didn't play that. I didn't play that many games, but just they just had this aura about him. You know, he was just sensational. And you know, you think back to when he signed for Man United, and he was the sort of missing part of that jigsaw that went on to win the league. Uh, but you know, just you seen what he did in training, and you know, he's last off the training pitch, always practicing his finishing, and um. You know, but it, I miss out people then, you know, when I say him, because Peter Beardsley was was incredible, you know, when I came to the club and you think of Alan and Les and, oh gosh, it's um, it's a real difficult one. But I suppose I've, I've said, I've said uh, Cantona um, and I probably should pick somebody that maybe I played a lot more games with, you know, obviously Scolzi. I didn't play that many first team games with Scolzi, but obviously came through the system. Scolzi was incredible. Um, but you know, looking back, I'm very fortunate that I can even mention players like this. You know, incredible players that that graced the league for so many years. 
it speaks volumes really that you've said Eric because you didn't play a lot with him but the small time you did have with him you've, you've he's made an impression of you and it's great because he's actually on the front of the 97 book that we're working our way through and we've done maybe seven or eight interviews so far and he's come up quite a few times and what everyone's saying about him is you don't realize his size he was quite a big lad and yeah. hard to get off the ball and put himself around the pitch yeah, well, I mean, I mean, my debut for for Man United was was I was seventeen, you know, and, you know, the surreal thing was I was eighteen months earlier. I was still at school, and here I was making my debut. Eric Hanton actually passed me the ball, and I scored. And then my mm-hmm. only other my only other goal for Man United was against Newcastle, and again it was Eric Cantona who passed the ball to me. So on on both occasions, I scored for Man United. Eric Cantona got the assist. Wow. <laughs> Love Did you that. talk to him? He was very quiet. You know, he didn't. He didn't say too much. But he was one of them when he walked. You you could feel him when he walked in the dressing room. You know, where the aura that he sort of possessed. Mm. And so no one ever quizzed him on his dress sense or popping his popping his collar up, <laughs> or the or the seagulls following the trawler. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what that was all about. <laughs> well, well, Keith. I mean, that's that's all our questions. Um, we're so glad that you were able to get you on and no bother it's been a real joy. I was just um, checking I was just checking the I was down to eleven percent, so we we... <laughs> we just got in there. I knew do you know what I knew it was gonna be a long one because obviously I knew obviously catch the Newcastle fan, but I had a feeling that you would you're very humble and easy to talk to and you're open and as a result it's just been a, a real privilege. So thank you very much for your time. Yeah, I, I, I think in terms of being humble, you know, that that's just the way I've been brought up. You know, so I don't know any other way to be. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was Keith Gillespie. And I know I say this every time, I think it's my favourite interview so far. I, I honestly think we could have talked to him for hours because he was just a, a complete open book. Well, we did talk to him for um, hours. Three hours we spoke to him. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I'd love a part three because just I, I, we had the chance as fans to ask questions in detail. So things like... You know him not talking to Sunes. I still can't get my yeah. head around that. It's just weird and little little funny things like um, playing for Ireland. He didn't have insurance and he got injured. I, I've never heard of that before. Uh, and one thing he reminded of, of us in the first interview was that um, one of the reasons I think Keegan was keen to sign him was because there was a rule about foreign players. I remember playing on football yeah. like, championship manager years ago. A foreign player used to have like a yeah. blue box and you can only have three <laughs> in your squad. And he was a foreign player. So there's just little things, like these little nuances, which I totally forgot existed in the game, he sort of brought back to life. So, yeah, absolutely love that. I'm glad it didn't get too political. It was fantastic. And he would have, asked, he would have answered. If we'd asked him about that, he would have answered because he was, he was up for it all. Mm-hmm. Love it, Keith. Fantastic interview. And we move on. Mm-hmm. We do. We've had some correspondence, Richie, that I wanted to share with you. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Uh, our listeners are now sending us stuff, which is yeah, great. great. Helps us fill in the outros and it intros with content. <laughs> Email through from Liam Hughes. He says, hi, lads. Love the pod. Back in the 90s, when Keegan encouraged open-air training at the shared Durham University facilities at Maiden Castle, my dad would take me and my brother up to watch the team train, often off school with footballitis, as he would call it. Oh, no. Plagued but, by it up in the northeast. He was, Yeah, he wasn't alone. One day during shooting practice, me and my brother asked Shaka Hislop for a ball, which he kindly proceeded to give us, followed by a finger to the lips. Oh, wow. The ball was quickly slipped into a backpack and into the boot of the car. (laughs) We were in hysterics as the training session drew to a close and the coaching staff began to gather the Mitre Ultimax 97-98 balls emblazoned with the Premier League logo. 
The stewards were subsequently sent into the woods behind the goal to retrieve the missing ball, which they would never find. <laughs> would love to say we still had this ball, but unfortunately, being the football mad kids we were, it was kicked around the streets in awe that we had an official Premier League ball. Keep up the good work, lads. Oh, I mean, can you That's imagine? That's just the dream. That is so good. I'd love that. I've got a picture of Shaka Hislop getting told off, like a sort of like a student teacher getting told off and robbing the ball. <laughs> and producer Joel has promised to get us Shaka Hislop, and I know he, he won't promised. want to. Dis- he won't want to disappoint your listeners, so maybe no. we'll have Shaka for you in season two. Oh, we definitely. We will. Ask Joel, him if there's no way this. Joel would let us down. No way would he let us down with that. Hundred percent, Shaka's coming on, and we'll ask him. Do you remember this, Shaka? Mm. Stealing a football for little children. Oh, that's it. great. One other thing we've been asking for is crap 90s football memorabilia and Gareth Vigors has been in touch. Shout out to Gareth, I know him. He sent us a picture of a rude hullet smug he had. <laughs> now these were mugs, plastic mugs made out of players' heads and he had a rude hullet so you could just have your tea out of rude hullet's dreadlocks. Oh. I'll post a picture on social media because I, I remember them. There was a Shearer one that really didn't look like Shearer, just looked like an ordinary <laughs> blonde man. But the Hullet one is absolutely bang on. Dreads are just flowing down the side of the cup. Oh, uh, I don't know if he still has it, but God, I'd love one of those right now. <laughs> I presume he's in Chelsea kit. Well, it's just his head. So, oh, so you don't get to see universal. the collar. Okay. Oh, <laughs> they probably uh, sold it in the Newcastle club shop when he yeah, yeah. moved up to the northeast. <laughs> Oh, anyway, you know, if if you've got any crap nineties football memorabilia, is it as naff as a rude hullet smug or Michael Bridges pen? I mean, they're not naff; they're both brilliantly collectible, and I'd love them both. I have the Michael Bridges pen that still smells of his aftershave. But if you've got a smug or anything else from the nineties, send us a picture. We'll talk about it on the show. We absolutely love it. More importantly, do you know a player from the nineteen ninety seven sticker book? Dan Sheridan is out in Dubai pulling up trees for us. Mm. He's found us Terry Feeling and he's contributed with some fantastic content for the show. We have the full book scanned on our website, searchingforshinies.com. Go on, have a look, connect us with a player and I promise we're going to send you some goodies. That reminds me, I need to send Dan something for connecting us with Terry Feeling, which could be our next episode. Have you ever met a player from the 1997 sticker book? Did you ask for a stud like one of our listeners who asked Ian Rush for a stud from his boot and Ian Rush gave him the stud? Listen back to the st- yeah, that amazing story. We want to hear these stories no matter how mundane. In fact, the more mundane, the better, as far as we're concerned. Contact us via the website or social media. We're at The Shiny Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we also upload some of the episodes to YouTube. Please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening. Give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. Helps us out massively. And the biggest one for us, I think, is tell any mates who love 90s football, people you went to school with who you haven't spoke to for... 30 years, just get in touch with them randomly. <laughs> Say, I found this amazing podcast called Search for Shinies. Put a link to us in your football WhatsApp groups. We'd really love that. But last but not least, above all else, if you do one thing this week, Richie, tap it in. Keep it shiny. <laughs>